Okay, so here we go. This is sermon number two, back from the break. Uh, there's a guy named K. Mark Choi who points out that Hollywood has a tough time with Jesus. We know that, but I think it's very interesting <laughs> some of the ways that he has documented how Hollywood has a tough time with Jesus. Some classics have been Ricky Bobby Baby Jesus. Remember him from Talladega Nights? Uh, Buddy Jesus from Dogma. This is the Jesus that winks at you and gives you the thumbs up. Uh, then there's Jesus Christ Superstar from the said movie, right, where the Jesus in that movie is seen through the eyes of Judas. And so it's a Judas Jesus. And then you go to the Life of Brian Jesus from Monty Python's Life of Brian. Remember that? Uh, Brian, remember, was born on the same day as Jesus. It's just that he was born in a stable right next to Jesus. So for the rest of his life, he's confused with Jesus. And so there's the Life of Brian Jesus. Then there's the Jesus of Montreal, a movie, a French-Canadian movie, that drew tons of outrage from the Catholic Church, but chose favorite Hollywood Jesus, which is mine too, which is the Jesus. Do you remember the Jesus? The Jesus from The Big Lebowski. Uh, Cho says, quote, his purple rhinestone-studded bowling suit and no-mess attitude make a convincing case for divinity. Fantastic movie. If you haven't seen it, it's absolutely hilarious. Then Choi goes on to say this. It makes sense that we can often stomach humorous, even profane images of Jesus while being uncomfortable speaking about the real one. So today you can pick, you can pick a Hollywood Jesus. Today you can pick a liberal Jesus. Today you can pick a traditional Jesus, a conservative Jesus. Today you can pick a progressive Jesus. Today you can pick a therapeutic Jesus, a mental health Jesus, a critical theory Jesus, a moral Jesus, a fixer-upper Jesus. You can pick a Gnostic Jesus, and if you don't know who that is, count yourself blessed. You're better off for it. You can pick a medieval Jesus, a mystical Jesus. You can pick the anti-racist Jesus, a social justice Jesus. You can pick an American Jesus, a Chinese Jesus, a Belize Jesus, a Mexican Jesus, a Russia Jesus. You can pick a Presbyterian Jesus, an Anglican Jesus, a Catholic Jesus, a Methodist Jesus, a charismatic Jesus. And of course, you can always pick a biblical Jesus, whatever that means. Who is Jesus, really? Please stand for the hearing of two texts. So we've got two texts. We've got one from Jeremiah and then one from Matthew. So here's from Jeremiah. Is Ephraim, this is just another name for Israel, is Ephraim my dear son? Is he my darling child? For as often as I speak against him, which God does. So this is chapter what? Do you see that? 31? Up until 29, chapter 29, all God does is speak against Israel. All God does is tell Israel about their brokenness and their sinfulness. All God does, he doesn't just tell them, he shows them. He shows them, listen, this is how messed up you are. This is how messed up you are in your marriages. This is how messed up you are in your parenting. This is how messed up you are at church. 
This is how messed up you are at work. This is how messed up you are in your community and your interpersonal relationships. This is how messed you up you are in the city and in the state. It's a 29 chapters of saying that. For as often as I speak against him, I do remember him still. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, declares the Lord. Now let's jump to Matthew. Now, when Jesus heard this, what did he hear? He just heard about John the Baptist's beheading, his beheading. He withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When, they, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, before we say what we're about to say, I want you to see something about Jesus that I just thought of, and I don't have it in my notes, but I want to say it. Do you notice that Jesus is not acting out of piety? He's not acting out of, i got to do the right thing. He's not acting out of a motivation to make something happen. It's something much more radical. It's something much more powerful. It's something much more cosmic. It's something much more life-changing. This is the word of the Lord. All right, please be seated. Lord, oh, Jesus, none of us are going to change in this room by any other way than what we're about to look at today. We can pretend to be pious, and we can pretend to do the right thing, and we can pretend in so many motivations and so many external behaviors and so much holy management and so many discipleship manuals. And yet we will only change when we experience one thing. And so, Lord... Shine on the page. And we ask this in Jesus, in your name, amen. All right, so who is Jesus, really? Who is he, really? I mean, really. You can pick millions and multitudes of multifaceted Jesuses in the world today and in the church. And maybe perhaps... There's never been so many options for you than in today's culture and in today's church. Well, let's look at Jeremiah 31, 21. It says, my heart yearns for him. See that little phrase? My heart yearns for him. Matthew 14, 14, he had compassion on them. These two passages are saying the same thing about who God is. So just to be clear, I just need to be really clear. This means there are not two different gods in the Bible. There's not one God in the Old Testament, one God in the New Testament. And just to be clear, this means that God doesn't have schizophrenia. doesn't have a split personality disorder. He's not the, the angry personality in the Old Testament and the loving personality in the New Testament. And just to be clear, this means that, that God is not evolving. God is not improving. God is not progressing. He's not the ancient traditional God in the Old Testament, the unevolved God. And then he's the modern progressive God in the New Testament, the evolved God. Whoever Jesus is, whoever he is, Jeremiah and Matthew are saying the same thing about God. 
So we've got to figure out who is he really, right? So we've got to dive into this. I want you to look at heart in the Jeremiah text, and I want you to look at compassion in the Matthew text. You might want to turn on your electronic device, grab a Bible that's in front of you if you don't have one. Take it home, steal it if you need one. Heart in Jeremiah text, compassion in the Matthew text, okay? So I want you to look at those words. These are very important. Jeremiah and Matthew are doing more than telling you about who God is at this point. They're showing you. They're saying to you and me, they're saying, look, 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 look inside God. Look inside. Do you see what's inside? Do you see his inner parts? Heart in the Jeremiah text, compassion in the Matthew text is literally doing surgery on God. Those two words, what Jeremiah is doing and what Matthew is doing by recording it. All they're doing is recording it. This is God's intention. God wants to do open heart surgery for you on himself. He wants to operate on himself and cut himself open and show you literally these words mean his guts. If you want to be a little more technical, you could say bowels, his inner parts. God is intentionally showing you his guts. In the ancient world, the guts were the center of one's being. The center of one's being. They were the deepest waters of you. They were the seat of your psychological self. The seat of the ego. The seat of the self. The seat of all your thinking and feeling. It's the deepest waters and motivational structure. It's what makes you, you. Today we seem to be playing catch-up with the ancient world. This is an interesting. I just had a conversation with TJ about this. We're playing catch-up. And you're saying, what do you mean? We're getting better and better. We're evolving. We're progressing. We're not playing catch-up with the ancient world. Yeah, the modern world's actually catching up with the ancient world, at least in this area that I know. What, what are you talking about, Jeff? More and more people today are learning about what? Gut health. Right? We used to think that, you know, what goes on in the brain is just a bunch of impulses and a bunch of synapses, and what goes on in our physical body is just a bunch of biological things that are running around in there, and all of a sudden, we found, we've discovered, we've gone backwards, and we've realized that the gut has a tremendous influence over your brain. And the gut health has a tremendous influence on your psychological health, that gut health has a tremendous impact on your brain's health. The ancient world knew that your gut was a big deal. Who is Jesus really? In Jeremiah, God's guts yearn for you. Literally, the word yearn means he roars. He wails. He groans. I 
think I'm going to do this. I think I might, I'm going to go to a, a passage, I think, in this series. We'll uncover it a little more. But there's a, there's a spot in Romans where Paul says the Spirit groans for you. Same word. And what that means, that word groan, it's the same word that's used in the ancient world when a soldier would bleed out on a battlefield. He knows he's dying. He's bleeding out. He's watching his blood rush from whatever wound he has, and he knows he doesn't have much time, and he groans. The word groans, when it says there in Romans 9 that the Spirit groans for you, it's this deep wail. Yearning. Longing. Is this your Jesus? Is this the Jesus you pick? The Jesus that yearns for you, groans for you, storms for you. Who is Jesus, really? In Matthew, Jesus' guts churn with compassion for you. Do you see this? This is the same thing. It's guts. Compassion is a gut word. In other words, literally, Jesus' whole being in this passage is that he's churning, and his guts are churning everything about him, who he is. It absorbs him. It consumes him. It's him. He churns with mercy towards you. He moves with grace towards you. He is completely electrified, completely motivated, completely pulsating with love for you. In other words, if you walk up to Jesus and you cut him, he bleeds you. Is this your Jesus? Is this the Jesus you pick? And there's more. This is not an abstract Jesus. So this isn't like, uh, thanks for the lecture, Jeff. You know, thanks for the nice thoughts on Jesus. That was really good. Um, I'm totally inspired now. Um, I, I feel, you know, I feel better about myself now. Um, and I promise I'm going to do better now. Just give me a couple steps and I'll be on my way. This is not an abstract Jesus. So we're looking for the real Jesus, right? Who is Jesus really? Who is he? When we say biblical Jesus, well, what does that mean? When we say systematic Jesus, well, what is that? Gnostic, I mean, we can go on and on, right? So what is and who is the real Jesus? This text is giving you the textual Jesus. In other words, this is the Jesus that shows up in the text. This is the Jesus that shines on the page of the text. This is the Jesus that moves in the text. This is the Jesus that reaches you and renews you with the text. This is the Jesus that's personally active and breaks into your life. 
in the text, with the text, by the text. The textual Jesus in Jeremiah 31, 21, it's so important to know the textual Jesus in 31, 21. The textual Jesus in 31, 21 yearns for who? Who does he yearn for? He yearns for, he wails for, he groans for, he storms for, the bad person, the sinner. Not the good person, not the obedient person, not the worthy person, not the person crushing it, not the victorious spiritual person, not the person that's keeping the 500-page discipleship manual, not the person that's figured out the spiritual secrets and has accessed the Holy Spirit in such a way that he's crushing it. Jesus and Jeremiah, the textual Jesus and Jeremiah, yearns for the sinner. The sinner. And then let's look at the textual Jesus in Matthew 14. Churns with compassion for who? He's churning with compassion for the broken person. He's churning with compassion for the dislocated person. He's churning with compassion for the sufferer. So he's not churning with compassion for the healthy person, the whole person. I mean, look at he had compassion on them and healed their sick. He is seeing the total chaos of human wreckage and sin and in suffering and a broken person and a broken world and broken relationships and broken communities and broken cultures and broken institutions, and broken world, and a broken state, and broken leaders, and broken churches. He's looking, and he sees. And another part of Mark, just before this, it says that he looks at everyone that's harassed, and has compassion on them. So what does this textual Jesus have to do with you practically? I mean, what does this have to do with us practically? What does this practically mean for you? What does this practically mean for me? Here's the answer. You're both. You're the sinner and the sufferer. And Jesus' heart is for you. Some of us, some of us this morning keep doing what we don't want to do. You feel shame. I love that song, Come As You Are. Oh, my word. Incredible song. You feel disconnected from God, right? And you ever notice that when you feel disconnected from God, you think you can make it up in your relationships with other people, but you really can't. You really can't because you, you feel this deep disconnect with God, this dip, deep dislocation from God. You also feel it with people. You try to mend it. You try to bridge it, but you just can't. And then when you start really honestly taking a look at yourself, you realize I'm, I'm disconnected from myself because you start 
not knowing who you are either. And so this disconnection from God just affects every relationship there is, affects your relationship with you, affects your relationship with others, affects your relationship in your marriage, your children, everything, your friendships at school, on the ball field. You just feel completely dislocated. And you're tired of feeling bad. And if you're honest, you're even tired of being bad. And Jesus yearns for you. And Jesus' compassion churns for you. Some of us this morning are fearful. Again, the Delta variant, right? You've got family in Cuba. The ideological chaos is continuing, and it's not going away. It touches every area of our life, right? You thought the church was safe. No, the church is not safe. You knew the state and politics was unsafe. You knew the culture could turn on a moment. You just didn't think the church could. Surprise. Jesus yearns for you and your fears. Jesus' heart churns with compassion for you and your fears. If you don't like that word and you like the more modern word, anxiety, be my guest. Some of you this morning are suffering, which is clear, flat-out suffering. You have a hard relationship. You're struggling with chronic pain. Uh, there's financial stress. Uh, you just received some bad news, as a dear friend has. Jesus yearns for you. Churns with compassion for you. Some of you this morning are self-sabotaging. You're self-sabotaging a relationship with God. You say things like this. You think things like this. Maybe it's subconsciously and you don't know it, but eventually you start, oh, my word, you know what you're thinking, you're feeling. You start thinking things like, God hates me. I'm not worth saving. You say things like, I'm not one of the elect, and here's all the evidence. You do things like, there's so many views, there's so many opinions, there's so many religions, there's so many philosophies about who God is. Who can really know who God is? How many pick your Jesuses can you pick from? Some of you are sabotaging yourself. You're doing this kind of thinking. You're going, my parents think I'm a bad kid, so I might as well be one. You think things like this. You feel it. What if I fail? So you don't try out for the gymnastics team. What if I fail? So you don't work hard. You don't take risks. What if I fail? So you become a victim. You blame everybody in your circumstances. 
What if I fail? You never learn to endure. You never learn to embrace the suck in life. Some of you are sabotaging your relationships. I must never be rejected. Never. Rejection is a killer. I will never survive rejection. That's what goes on inside, right? And so you build a wall around you. You build a wall around you in such a way that nobody really knows you. And you're a very lonely person. Your spouse doesn't know you. Your friends don't know you. Your church doesn't know you. The workplace doesn't know you. And you wonder why you feel so lonely. You're so afraid of rejection that when you're a relationship, a romantic relationship gets serious, you break it up. You break up with him. You break up with her. You're so afraid of rejection that you're becoming, an, of an, you're becoming a part of an ever-growing movement today called sheeple. Jesus' heart yearns for you, roars for you, churns with compassion for you. Redeemer's first office space was a, a small business unit on Sanger. This is like a long time ago. But this first office space was over there. One Saturday afternoon, I needed to swing by the office to pick something up. And so I had uh, Bryn with me, I think was five. Uh, Knox, I think at the time, was three or two. I don't know. Uh, so went in, got out the best way. I like going into offices, in and out, nice and smooth, just like I like it. And then I pull onto Highway 6 and start cruising about 65 miles per hour. Uh, when uh, my daughter from the back seat says, Daddy, something's wrong with Knox. And I look in the rearview mirror, and I see Knox in, a black, in the back seat, and he's blue. He's choking, and he's been choking. I guess evidently in, we had hard candy in there, and he reached in without me knowing and grabbed a piece of hard candy. What happened next was the deepest waters of my heart. What happened next was my guts. I slam on the brakes at 65 miles per hour and force the car to the median all at the same time. It can never happen again, but it happened. I jump out of the car. I rip open the back door, and I grabbed him. I grabbed him. Who is Jesus, really? Who is he? Really, the Jesus who grabs you, 
Jesus who moves toward you in your sin and in your suffering. So does it make sense now? I mean, when you think about it, does it now make sense? Does it make sense why he would leave heaven? Because he grabs you. He moves towards you. Does it make sense now? Why he went to the cross? Because he yearns for you. He churns with compassion for you. Does it make sense now? Why he busted out of that grave? Why he rose from the dead? Why he took death and went off me? Took your sin and went, it's finished. And gives you everything. He yearns for you. He churns with compassion for you. He grabs you. This is the real Jesus. for us.